So we're in our Ten Commandments series, and I was given the privilege of the Ninth Commandment. When I first looked at it, I was like, man, there's not like a whole lot of like context. It's like just a lot of other commandments. So that was difficult for me, but I feel like what was lacking in context on the specific topic of do not bear false witness against your neighbor, the Lord provided for me multiple opportunities um, in real life. And uh, so just really in preparation, one of the things the Lord was doing was putting on my heart just where have I not told the truth before that I haven't confessed? And so a lot of my, my preparation for this, we're, we're going to dive into the word, but a lot of my preparation, like heart-wise preparation, has been just the Holy Spirit moving on stuff where I just flat out did not tell the truth in the past or um, skirted around the truth or gave a half-truth. And it's just been brutal. And then, you know, I find out, it's like, man, there's just so much. What do I do with all the guilt of this sin? And there's good news in the gospel here. So before we jump in and pray, uh, there's just kind of a funny story. I was like, I know something's going to happen with my neighbors, right? And so last night, I'm sitting down with Joe and Abby, and uh, they're about to watch Brian Regan. And as I sit down, I'm like, you know, I really can't watch Brian Regan before I preach because I don't want Brian Regan to preach tomorrow. And there's something about my soul, like, as I watch Brian Regan, like, just Brian Regan comes out. So I was like, I'm going to go downstairs. So five minutes later, uh, Joe and Abby came downstairs and I'm like, hey, our neighbors are throwing a party outside and uh, we're going to go hang out with them for a bit. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. So they come back like 40 minutes later and we're talking. And right before um, I go to bed, Abby's like, oh, and uh, last time this happened, you know, they were up till like 2 or 3 a.m. So hopefully you have a noisemaker app on your phone or something. I'm like, oh my God, I've got to preach tomorrow against not bearing false witness against your neighbor. And in my heart, I committed that sin. Because I wanted to call up the police and be like, man, they got like kimchi over there and who knows what else, like drugs and stuff. And, you know, so like in my heart, I'm going through this process of like, I got to get ready for this sermon. And my neighbors are really jacking this up right now. And uh, so, I mean, it's a test. This is how I walk into the pulpit today. I just got to like lay it before you here. Um, So that's where I'm at. And we need Jesus. So we're going to go before him and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal him through his word today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and rest on us and reveal Jesus to us. I thank you that you came and rested upon Jesus and you remained. And I pray that you would expose Jesus today. And that we would see the beauty of who Jesus is through the Old Testament and through the New Testament. And I pray, God, that you would come in and bring us in to relationship with you. God, that the words spoken today, Lord, would not just be directions, God, but Lord, that there would be an invitation, God, to walk with Jesus, to dine with Jesus, to sit with Jesus today. So come and prepare our hearts. God, reveal your word. God, expose your word. 
And I pray that we would unify around Jesus today and that you would bring truth to our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. I, um, <clears throat> I wanted to start, this is your Bible, Jeff, by the way. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I listened to last week's sermon and just totally forgot it already. So I want to give a picture here, and I, I think that Colossians 1, 15 through 20 does this, talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And what I want to do as we're approaching the Ten Commandments here is lay a foundation for objective truth. In this society, we don't really know what objective truth is. There's too many layers of, well, that used to be objective truth and that used to be objective truth. And we don't always know what the highest truth is to appeal to. But the Bible is clear from beginning to end about what the highest truth to appeal to is, and that's Jesus. He is the firstborn among all creation, that in everything he might be preeminent. And so when we're talking about standards, when we're talking about absolute truth, we're talking about the living God who we know to be incarnate as Jesus, and he has always been, and he always will be. And so when we're talking about truth and appealing to truth, Jesus is truth, he emanates truth, and there is no higher truth than Jesus. And so he's who we appeal to, and he is our standard. And there's some things that the Bible says about him. And we need to know this coming into commandments. Because when we start thinking about commandments, we can start to think, oh, that's relative. That's not applicable to my life. But if these truths are coming from the heart of God as an expression of his character for us and inviting us into his holy standard, then there's a whole lot of relevance for our lives. And... I want to make that clear up front that when we approach the Ten Commandments, they're not just arbitrary rules distanced from his character. He's inviting us in to the nature of who he is. He is eternal. He has always existed. And our existence comes out of his existence. He is holy. Holiness is not an optional characteristic that he chooses to sprinkle around. I'll give you some holiness over there, and you got some holiness. It's the description of his full integrity of being God. That's who he is. And so the standard for this holy, eternal God is 
For us, there's no higher appeal. When Jesus says something, that's it. That's truth. Regardless of what culture says. Regardless of what our families say. If they're not coming from, this is what Jesus says. Let's understand it and hold it high. Then it's probably not absolute truth. God's standard is holiness because God's standard is God. He is passionate about his standard. His law for us is an invitation into his character to become sanctified at the level which he expects and enjoys. He enjoys who he is. And he doesn't just invite us to stay where we are. He invites us in to become like him. And so these commandments, as we'll see, they're just conveying the heart of God. He's not like a school teacher that's like, no talking while I'm talking. That's not his posture. Shut up, mommy's talking to her friend. You know, that's, <laughs> that's not his posture. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? I'm sorry. Or right, it's Father's Day, so maybe dads do that too. I don't really know. All right, so let's actually jump into this ninth commandment. I've been avoiding it because, man, I found out I fall so short. (laughs) No pun intended, but... um, (laughs) Okay, maybe it was very intended. Um, The ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Exodus 20, 16. This command, as a reflection of truth, is unpacked in the Bible. Sometimes we think that these Ten Commandments are just like this one place where Moses came down and had stones and was like, you guys should do these. And then people are like, oh yeah. And then they went on with the rest of their lives. There's a trajectory of God continually revealing his character and inviting people into it. The Old Testament lays this out. And the New Testament lays this out. I won't be able to do the full of it justice, but we need to know that these things in the Ten Commandments, God is continuously laying out for his people. And so we see further instruction in Exodus 23, verse 1. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. So there's intent behind Bearing witness, right? Where, where you're going to come in and, um, and, and say, this is what they've done with an agenda, right? So God's instructing them, don't do that. You shall not fall in with many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit, siding with the many, so as to pervert justice. So already, I'm thinking in my own heart, how many times have I had the intention because I've got a buddy and he's got an agenda that I'll join with my buddy in his agenda to say something about someone that I don't even know is true or not. And so there's, there's reflections in my own heart, in all of our hearts, that fall short of this standard. Verse 3, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in a lawsuit. Yahweh is giving instruction for righteous witness. He requires this of his people. 
So let's do an exercise. What does it mean to witness? Uh, just the Lord's been changing my life on what this means. To witness simply means to see, to observe something. You were a witness. You wouldn't get a witness on the stand if they didn't see it or you wouldn't get a witness on a stand if they were just a good communicator. Like, hey, you're good at that. Why don't you? No, you get a witness on the stand whether they're good at speaking or not because they saw what happened. And so what does it mean to bear witness? Well, to bear witness means to say, this is what I've seen, to shed light on what you've seen, to bear witness, to articulate that which you have seen. And so what does it mean to bear false witness? Well, you've probably seen something, and somewhere in that process of saying what you've seen, there's a change. Or you didn't see something, and you're pretending with an agenda to say something that is not true. Can you both bear right witness and false witness at the same time? You can't. And so what we need to see again is that in the reflection of God's character, his standard being so high, the way he whittles down what true, correct, righteous witness is, is almost impossible for us. You can give the right facts, but it seems as though he's even getting at the intent of the heart, which we will see. So what is God's standard? We're either, we need to know this, bearing false witness, or we are absolutely, absolutely giving a true account. There's no in-between. Either it's totally true, as God would say it, or it's false because it's not perfectly aligned with how God would account for what happened. And so this is how Israel originally responded to the command in Deuteronomy 527, the Lord's recounting and Moses is recounting. And, and this is what happens is um, the people of God say to Moses, go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear and do it. That's kind of how I am on the job. All right, no more three-hour meetings. Tell me what I need to do. Let's go do it. And this is kind of the Israelites' approach to God. All right, Lord, if you want to give us, like, instructions, <laughs> that's cool, man. Just, like, read it now, like, text me. I don't know. Put it in my Google Calendar, bro. Like, let's get on with this. And so they're, in a sense, treating God like he's just a fact giver. Like, okay, yeah, give us what we need to obey, and we'll do it. Now, you know, there is some emotion here. There is, it's probably more personal than I'm making it out to be. There's some response. But the nature in which they're treating it is, yes, you give instruction, we do instruction. But God's after more than them just doing instruction. We act like we got it, we can champ it. Tell us what to do. We're professional, competent doers. Good account givers we are. That was, that was my only attempt at anything Star Wars for the rest of my transit history. It was terrible. We're moving on. 
That was false witness of Yoda. A couple of you guys are like, man, we need a commandment for that. In Deuteronomy, here's God's response to their response. Chapter 5, verses 28 through 29. And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. Israelites' response to Moses. And the Lord said to me, and this is the Lord's response back to Moses for the Israelites. I've heard the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always. (laughs) That they'd have a sustained heart to fear me and to keep all my commandments. That it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. See, the ability to achieve the instructions, the commandments that God gives It's not just an understanding of the action he requires for us. It's a heart to believe and receive that what he has given us is good. And if we get that heart where we say, man, my father is giving me something good to walk in. Don't run in the road. And we trust dad. Then we're going to be coming to him to say, man, we just want to, here, here's a good principle. If you're enjoying him and you're with him, you're in a safe place. If you're running away from him, then it's evidence you're not enjoying him and you're probably going to go into a land that you shouldn't go. You're going to go into a space that's dangerous for you. And so the high standard of being a good witness is one must fully be aligned with what God says about the matter. And God's aim for his people is that they have hearts that love him and fear him always. Not just one moment, but always. So we are moving through the Old Testament here and I feel like we gotta lay this out because this is God's heart for us. And then we're gonna start to see how in Jesus, the gospel transforms our hearts, but we need to lay this out. The ability to bear correct witness does not come by self-determination and strength of will. Got my facts. But by a heart that has been changed to align to God's heart. Now, by all means, what I don't mean to do is antinomianism and, and speak against the law. Because what God is saying in the law is that these things are good to do and they should do these things. But the sustained doing of these things does not come from focusing on doing these things. I don't not commit adultery by saying, shouldn't commit adultery, shouldn't commit adultery. But by focusing on Jesus, by focusing on the relationship that God's bringing me into, And that's when we begin to obey the commands he has for us. So understanding his heart on the matter is key to walking in the things that he has expressed to us. And so he is inviting his people into a standard. Holy God, always existent, always eternal, fully sufficient, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They didn't need to create image bearers. Let us make man in our image. And we show up on the scene and we're like, something 
you got something going on, like, man, it's kind of boring. We're going to do our own thing, make golden calves, make golden iPhones. You do your thing. Man, God's inviting us not just into his standard, but into a community of holiness. He doesn't leave his standard, but brings us into his. That's important to know. That God, in his condescension to us to give us something, he doesn't say, you know what, I'm lowering my standard for you. Rather, he does humble himself, but the standard of holiness remains high for his people. And that's good news, as we'll see. By inviting people into holiness, he is inviting people into the reward of holiness, eternal habitation with him. You want to spend eternity with God forever? (laughs) Obey his commands forever. Be holy like him. Spend time with him. Be around him. Your heart should perfectly reflect his heart. That's what the Old Testament, that's what the law is getting at. God's legal instruction for bearing witness is this. Deuteronomy 17, 2 through 7. If there is found among you within any of your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, a man or a woman who does what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God in transgressing his covenant... So who does evil in the sight of the Lord your God? So it's not just, I, I didn't do anything wrong. It's in the sight of God. Has God seen you do anything wrong? That, that's the question here. That's what we're getting at. In transgressing his covenant. So it's when we do something that God sees as wrong, it's moving upon, it's trampling upon The covenant, it's going against the covenant that he's established with his people. The covenant he set for works was a covenant of love. In that that time, by no other means did God have to extend himself and say, you know what, guys, I'm giving you an opportunity into relationship with me. He didn't have to do that. But what we're seeing is in the heart of man, (laughs) without the grace of God, without moving upon it, all they do is transgress his covenant. And that's true of us too. The Bible hasn't changed. Truth hasn't changed. So they've transgressed his covenant and have gone and served other gods and worshipped them. So with the living God, yeah, sure, tell us what to do. We'll do it. With other smaller, lesser gods that aren't eternally true, we're going to go serve them and worship them. You see, it's a heart issue. These people weren't looking for not worshiping or not serving. They did want to let out their souls and rejoice and find something to, to worship, to give praise to, to spend their lives on. But it wasn't the living God that was inviting them into his covenant. And so it's a heart issue. Hmm. And it is told to you, and you hear of it, 
So he's saying, and transgressing his covenant and has gone and served other gods and worshiped them or the sun or the moon or any of the hosts of heaven, which I have forbidden. And it is told to you and you hear of it. So when you hear of someone doing that, here's what you do. Verses four through seven. Then you shall inquire diligently. So there's a process. This witnessing thing isn't just you get on the stand just haphazardly. There's a process of investigation. And if it is true and certain that such an abomination has been done in Israel, then you shall bring out to your gates that man or woman who has done this evil thing and you shall stone that man or woman to death with stones. This is our God speaking. (laughs) What if Jesus showed up today I went to the Verizon Center and was like, hey, um, if you find anyone worshiping another god, bring them out to the city and stone them. Hmm. On the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person, a person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. There's a requirement here that two people see the same thing. So there's some accountability. And there's also some congruence with what they're saying. We need multiple witnesses to observe something. The hand of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death. And afterward, the hand of all the people. So the witnesses get the first duty of executing righteousness. And then all the people are to join in. And this is why. This is what God says. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. God is a holy God. And the commandments he gives us are to maintain his holiness in his people. And that's why he sets up witnesses. That's why it's important to have people that are observing and taking account for the activity of God's people. Holiness does not commingle with wickedness. So... The importance of witnesses is to inquire diligently, to do your homework, get the facts straight, be sober-minded, be true and certain that an abomination happened. That's kind of heavy stuff. Bring the guilty to the city gates and stone them. (laughs) Man, the punishment, this should weigh heavy on our hearts. This is the same God. This is the same God. This is the same God. He is radical about his holiness. More than he's radical about our comfort or our rights, he is radical about his holiness. And these are measures that are expressing that that radical devotion to him because he's God. He is God. He reigns over all. People in the land can try to adjust laws that don't reflect God. But at the end of the day, he's God. And he's passionate 
about being God and seeing his holiness displayed on the earth for his people. The punishment for sin has always been death, and yet God invites us into maintaining the holiness of his people. Purge the evil from your midst. Because he wants us to experience that holiness. You see, bearing witness holds the weight of life and death decisions. And bearing false witness is not a right that you have. When you feel, or what you feel, is the devastating feeling that you can't uphold the law. We just fall so short of the glory of God. Leviticus 6. If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security or through robbery, or if he has oppressed his neighbor or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely in any of all the things that people do and sin thereby, if he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him, or the lost thing that he found, or anything about which he has sworn falsely. You can see just how articulate and precise God is on these matters. He shall restore it in full, and shall add a fifth to it. Kind of like what we talked about last week with Zacchaeus. And give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. So there's an immediate response to realizing your guilt. And it's making it right. And he shall bring to the priest as his compensation to the Lord a ram without blemish (laughs) out of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do and thereby become guilty. You see, our sin, even if there's repentance, there needs to be death. There needs to be a sacrifice. Our transgression against God does not go unaccounted for. His forgiveness is extended to us if we'll just repent and come to him. And yet he says, draw a perfect lamb. Come and sacrifice because we need something, because of your guilt, we need something pure to die. (laughs) Don't take this lightly. We'll miss Jesus. So the question is, have we done this? Here's the truth. We're all guilty of knowing truth and not being able to uphold it. There's other places in Leviticus that that say, even if you know the truth and withhold the truth, that's bearing false witness. We have moments, many, many moments, when we have not told the full truth. And on our own, we are utterly hopeless. Even if we think we are not hopeless, 
We are hopeless, and so what do we do? Well, there's a story in John chapter 8 about a woman caught in adultery. And Jesus really portrays what to do. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning, and he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, placing her in the midst. They said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, commanded to us, it's commanded to us, to stone such women. I mean, we just went through that, right? So what do you say? Well, first of all, what kind of sickos are waiting for people to commit adultery? Like, how do you even witness that? Like, Pharisees, where is your agenda at? And lady... Lock your dang door. Roll a stone over it or something. Jeez. But man, there is shame right there. You got the scribes, the religious leaders walking in on an act of complete vulnerability. Sin. You can imagine what's going on here. Second of all, The Pharisees are malicious in looking to bear correct witness against people's sin. And they miss the opportunity to witness and bear witness to the one who could deliver them from their sin. You see, with this problem, the issue is not getting the facts straight. Because witch hunters become witches. If you want to just go out and bear correct witness against everyone, your heart's going to shrivel up and you're going to die. But if you're focused on Jesus and seeing Jesus and bearing witness of Jesus, then you're going to walk into a relationship where your life changes where your heart changes, where all of a sudden the commandment isn't do this. It's, man, I wish their heart was for me. I wish they would fear the Lord. I wish they would know Jesus. And so Jesus comes to this woman and he brings her into a relationship because she's getting it. She's getting the God that made the commandment. That commandment's ushering her into a relationship where the Pharisees are like, man, we just like this commandment so much, we don't need the relationship. And this is what he says. Let him who is without sin, sin among, uh, who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her because this is his thing. Oh, that They had such a heart as this always to fear me and keep all my commandments that it might go well with them and their descendants forever. Jesus is after the relationship and immediately the Pharisees know, man, there's malicious intent in my heart. (laughs) 
Like you put it on a scale, my sin is just as bad as this woman caught in adultery and I got this log in my eye and I'm looking at the speck in her eye. And so Jesus is just coming right after them and saying, you don't, you're not addressing the full law, the full commandment. You're saying, look, God, we bore correct witness. It's like, I'm not looking just for the utterance of truth. I'm looking for a heart that rejoices in the truth, and I'm the truth. Jesus is the truth. And guys, we need to see, he delivers us from our sin, man. He comes in, he rescues us. He's looking for thirsty people, needy, exposed people that will say, I need a savior. I don't have an option. I'm before the council. I'm desperate now. And it continues. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. (laughs) Why not? And Jesus is the law. Jesus, remember, the law is a reflection of who Jesus is. And note this. That he's like, look, if you'll repent, I'll be the lamb for you. I'll go to the cross for you. I will die for you. I will stand in your place. If you want to put your sin upon me, I'll take it and I'll set you free. And so he's asking, where are the other people? Because they got sin too, but they ain't seeing it. And because they're not seeing it, Because they missed the law of God, they're going to miss the mercy of God who's standing in their midst. Because Jesus walked into the situation. He walked into the situation. He said, I know what's going on. I am the law and I'm also grace. And I'm the lamb for you. I will go to the cross for you. Both the Pharisees and the woman were sinners. Clear as day. The Pharisees missed seeing the truth and beauty of Jesus and gave up their opportunity to bear witness to the ultimate truth. They just missed it. The point of the law is to point to Jesus, not to fulfill the law without Jesus. The point of the law is to show self-desperation, not outward condemnation. It doesn't produce in us, look at what all they've done. It produces in us, look what I've done. The point of the law is to show the standard of holiness, not be subjected to man's agendas. See, because people are coming after us. When are you going to mess up? We just got to know, man, there's a lamb for me. His name is Jesus. Without seeing Jesus, you cannot bear correct witness. You were made to become righteous by seeing Jesus. You were made to see him walk into your situation. And in that moment, seeing your need for him, bear witness to the truth and be set free. When we begin to see Jesus and profess him, aligning with 
objective truth, because he is objectively true, then our trajectory of bearing witness, so the things we say about the truth to our neighbor will be aligned to the truth. So if you want to fix this issue in your life, it's not just, yeah, we got this Jesus, we got this God, we're just going to go like over here and forget about it and worship some other gods. It's as you see Jesus and get to know him and treasure him and spend time with him, what happens in your heart is you begin to manufacture out bearing correct witness. See, Jesus takes our place. He fulfills the law by bearing correct witness about everything. And Jesus fulfills the law by being the perfect lamb that was sacrificed for us. God does not do away with his law. He fulfills his law. He fulfills it for us who have borne false witness and had the weight of guilt on our shoulders. It's inescapable unless the perfect lamb takes it from you, for you, forever. Come on, somebody. That is good news. And our world's missing out on that right now. They are missing out on that. We'd rather fudge the truth than have Jesus. And we will not inherit eternal life if that is the case. But Jesus gives himself to us and we must put our hope and our trust in him. Maybe you've been hurt by a false witness. Maybe your heart has been, man, people have said malicious things against me. Jesus went to the cross for you for that hurt, and he can comfort you, and he also went to the cross for that person. And I don't know how to handle that kind of hurt all the time. But Jesus went through that hurt. I want to come close to finishing with this. Matthew 26, 57 through 64. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered, and Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest, and going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus. They're seeking false testimony. Malicious intent. They're like, they're so, that's what the law without Jesus does. You start saying, I've got to own this, got to own this. And then you start, it's all about you and your agenda and it's malicious intent and you're going after it. You start subjecting people to what you've made law to be and holding people accountable to you and it doesn't work. It's sin. So the chief priest's whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. There's an agenda here, but they found none. Though many false witnesses came forward, at least two came forward. And he said, and said, the man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God. I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? So, so the man saying, this is what Jesus has said. And the high priest says, Jesus, is there a defense for that? What is it 
that these men testify against you. But Jesus said nothing. Because he's not going to play that game. He's not going to go right, wrong, right, wrong, right, wrong. But he does answer something. I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus answers. You have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. See, our highest appeal in this life, there will be false accusation. But Jesus comes in and Jesus bears witness to Jesus. And if we're aligned with Jesus and bearing witness to Jesus, then salvation is ours. And that's the good news about the gospel. And I got to close here. But what's the, what happens now that Jesus isn't physically on earth? Like sure, his disciples could see him. The, the people that were caught in adultery, the woman caught in adultery could see him face to face. How do we see him? Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You're gonna see me. And John says in 1, John 1, Verse 32, and John bore witness, I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. And he, I I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and I've seen and borne witness that this is the son of God. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, If the Holy Spirit's on Jesus and the Holy Spirit's on you, what the Holy Spirit does is make you a witness to Jesus, the Lamb who takes your sin. Worship team, you can can come up. We're going to close. And so this is the great hope of the earth. This is the great hope. We started with Jesus' objective truth. And we know this. One day, every eye will see the King. (laughs) you can't tell a lie then you will bow either by (laughs) just obeying the law in that moment because there's no other ruler dictating or because your heart you saw him you knew him you loved him he delivered you he set you free philippians 2 9 through 11 therefore god has highly exalted him And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The reality of heaven, may it be the earth's reality, that we begin to profess and bear witness to the true Jesus. Holy Spirit, come upon us. Come upon us, Jesus. God, I thank you that what you're doing is you're showing us that the only way, it's literally the only way, it's not just a saying anymore, the law hangs over us, the only way is you. You're the only one that can cleanse us from our sin. You're the only one that can set us free. You're the only one that can make us true witnesses. 
We were made to witness you. We were made to speak of you. You're the one that sets us free. God, and I pray that um, in our lives, Lord, that we would see you, that you would deliver us, and God, that you would empower us by the Holy Spirit to bear correct witness of Jesus, that the nations might know, that Alexandria might know, that Kingstown might know that there's a lamb that can take away their sin. In Jesus' name, amen.